And people always say it's the why, the why, the why. But um, the reason you started doing something may not be the reason why you're still doing it. What's up, brew? Welcome to Coffee on the Beach, the podcast that aims to motivate and elevate your passion towards your business, military career, and in life. With a focus on adding value via actionable items that are experience-based from my guests and mentors' lifelong stories of failures and success. Ladies and gentlemen, brought to you by the GCPG at www.thegcpg.com. This is Coffee on the Beach. What's up, Brew? Welcome to episode four of Coffee on the Beach. And this episode is special. I have a guest. Came all the way from Italy. And he is the co-creator of one of the OG brands in Japan. It was one of the OG brands, legends in the streets of Atsugi, all the way to Tokyo, uncanny. Co-creator, good friend of mine, Steve Sims. What's up, Steve? What's going on, man? We met in Japan back in 07. That's when I, when I first got stationed there. That's my second duty station in the Navy. And um, that's where I met you, man. And I think, I think we just clicked because we had the same things that we like to do, like skate, BMX, play basketball, and all this stuff, man. Then we have the same interests and stuff, you know, fashion, hustle, right? Uh, but uh, you're, you're in travel right now, right? Yeah. Um, got a week off, so, you know, <clears throat> came out to Cali, had some things to take care of here, and why not link up? You spent some time in uh, Maryland uh, this past few weeks, D.C., V.A., Virginia. How was, how was that? How was that travel? Uh, it's different. Um, while I was out there, got some, made some connections. Also, got a chance to run up to New York, you know, meet with family and you know, just take care of some things overall. Around this time last year, I was there for like a couple of days. Like, uh, again... I was leaving California on my way to Italy, uh, popped in for a few days, and then just flew out. Um, I really want to go back to the the history of the young Steve. So tell me, uh, tell me where you're from, where where, where are you born, uh, and just that young like uh, upbringing. Uh, born in Central America, raised in Brooklyn, New York. Oh, we. What's that going on? Which part? Uh, Honduras. Honduras? Yeah. And then um, came to the States when I was like about five or six. Grew up in Brooklyn. Hold up, man. See, now I'm going to start thinking about you every time I go to, uh, to like, Ross. No shit. The nicest clothes, like, the softest clothes. You look at the tag. It comes from Honduras. <laughs> it came from Honduras. Hey. <laughs> Produce uh, materials and oranges. That's that's. But yeah, so born in Honduras and moved to Brooklyn, in New York. Yeah, uh, was there until twenty when I joined the Navy. But um, really, just did a little bit of everything, like sports, uh, skateboard, and just. I wasn't growing up, man. So you know, I haven't really, I haven't been in New York. But the closest thing that uh, I can imagine New York is what what Jay-Z, right, kind of portrayed Brooklyn to be. 
Like, how how was it growing up around that area? Uh, it's different areas. It's it's all the same. Um, it's just whatever's particular to your city. Like, um, it's all like whatever borough you're from, kind of like shapes you or whatever. So um, the '80s was the crack era, right? It wasn't just like a lot of people know it for just DC, but it was like the Northeast, and um, yeah, it was. You know what? It's so, so exactly what Biggie and Jay Z was talking about in their music. Um, like, like, not like. Well, I can, I can only speak for me. Like, um, you get numb to it because you see it so much that it's just every day. You know, like it's normal to see someone like shooting up or, or buying drugs or something like that. Like, and then as time progressed, it got a little bit better. Um, it went from being normal to that's when it started to become like the gang thing and then um yeah i mean it just kind of went through its little phases and now it's like a completely different thing like um like y'all got an nba team now huh? you know what i mean y'all got an nba team now brooklyn nets not just that like it's <laughs> like i'm talking about from like rent to like the faces ah, see. the businesses like everything it looks it's like 360 it's completely different it's like some it's like what you grew up in never existed is what it looks like now. Wow. You know, so um, going back home is always like, not so much a culture shock, but it's kind of like, um, it's it's like this. It's like uh, every time I go home, I always come across someone who, because you have all these people that come in and out, right? So they don't know the, the faces or, or the people that were like originally from there. So it's always like people treat you like you just moved there or something. Like, but you've, you grew up there. You know the ins and outs. You know, yeah, like you're from know there. Yeah, what building and you know what's what. So it's like you go. Sometimes you gotta remind people like, I'm from here. Like you, like I'm raised here. Like you, you just got here within like the last five years. Like I can tell you what's been going on for decades around here. But and especially you, man, knowing you for like over over a decade now. Like you always rap New York hard. Yeah. Right, and that's why we created Uncanny. You know, Uncanny's United California, New York. I'm from Cali, you're from New York, and you always rep New York cars. So I see it. You going back there, and people think that it's like, oh, look at this dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but for the most part, you know, you get older, you get, you, you shift your mindset a little bit. I'm more like uh, mellow now. You know, a little bit laid back. So, um, but still, you know, like just like when we made uncanny like that came from a conversation right so right um it was kind of seeing it from different sides and like how and, and we're looking at the differences and then also the similarities right and that's where that came from so. and it's crazy yeah that that bridging the gap from different coasts different cultures and that's really what uncanny was about but going back to your childhood right like do you still keep stay in touch with uh, your friends from high school yes and no um, again, like a huge introvert. Like I, like I just stick to the things that I know. So um, I do keep in touch, but not as often as I should. Because everybody's older, everybody got their own right. life, got families and all this. But um, when we speak, we speak. So back in high school, you're an introvert. Yeah, I've been an introvert yeah. my whole life. So, <laughs> so grow, growing up in Brooklyn, going to high school there, what, what were you into? Because we met and you were into uh, uh, skate, uh, basketball right like was that the same Steve when when you were younger no yeah. 
in high school? Yeah, like uh, skate. Um, it was kind of hard to skate because at the time, um, skateboards were like hard to get, and if you did get them, they were like super expensive. It so, is. Um, I was stuck with the old wax board, and I kind of outgrew it. So um, in my in my building, we had a basement, so I would go down there because. You know, it was the only place I could skate where the weather didn't affect it and I can kind of control the environment. Um, and then basketball, those are the two things that kind of just kept me off the street. So um, after a while, it just, I mean, it's just a part of me. Like even to now, like um, in my in my place now, I'm skating in my own hallway and shit. Yeah. I just like so you still get a, a skateboard in Italy yeah, right now? Yeah. I mean, I I had one when I was here. I, like, I'd go bomb some hills or go find some flat ground and just kind of, like, skate the day. Yeah, that's what's up, bro. So, I mean, growing up, right, what was your hustle back then? Like, uh, like before the military, what was your passion? Like, what were you passionate about? What were you into? Were you already into, like, the streetwear back, back in those days? I'm guessing, like, Early '90s, right? Like that was the um, that was nah. the biggest malls area, right? Like, yeah, no, nah, like um, we didn't have money, so I wasn't into I was into dreaming. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, like I whatever piqued my interest, but we didn't have a lot of money, so I couldn't. I just made do with what I had. And I, I think that's the that's the hustler's mentality too, man. Like you know, I've listened to a lot of podcasts, a lot of audiobooks, and. Hearing the story from like Damon John, like growing up in New York, starring Fubu and stuff like that, and this kind of the same thing uh, he says in his books. Like he grew up no money, he, he just got to basically he just got to make what what he could make, and and uh, build his dream from that. So, and I'm guessing your way was joining the military. Like how did that? How did you end up joining the military? Like what was the decision? All right, well, to bring it back, I did have like a little side hustle. Um, but it was during the summer. It's like, um, so they used to sell like incense and like these essential oils and stuff. So we, what we did was we got a whole bunch of them and we got these little vials, whatever. We kind of like made like these on the go kind of like colognes for men. So, um, we had enough to, oh, those are the, 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 the stick ones where you, it's like, you know, maybe about like. Uh, into a two inch long little vial where you could just yeah. like take the cap off and then kind of dab it. Yeah. Right. And um, we know in the basement we'd like make them all together and then it was about three. So you, get, you guys mix it up. Yeah, we mix it all up. Oh and man. Split it and then we each have like maybe like a hundred of those, of those vials and then go out and then you just go like sell them like so we'd sell them for three dollars a piece and shit. Um, and then we just do that and that was our summer money, you know. Um, but what led me to joining the military, my mom, she had this rule, right? So like when you hit 18, you either go to work or go to school. I didn't want to go to school. Like I didn't want to, co I didn't want to go to college at all. Um, so like, all right, I tried to work and thing for a little bit, and, but I didn't want to stay in New York. Like, because it, it, at that, that time, the way I saw it was like, you get comfortable, you can get stuck there, and it's going to be like the same routine. Yeah. So you have to, it was better for me to leave and come back than me to stay, because then I'd never end up leaving, right? I, I see where you're coming from, but 
When you joined, well, how old are you? How old are you when you joined? Uh, was I actually had just turned twenty? Like I, okay, so I wasn't even trying to join. So I went. So, so, so there's there's a time where you were actually out of high school yeah. and you were trying to decide. Like, what did you do? No, no, I, I wasn't gonna join. Like that was never right? my thing. Like, so I, a good friend of mine, he like he decided, yeah, I'm gonna go join the navy. I was like, all right, cool. I'll roll with you to the recruit station just so you don't have to go down there by yourself. It was three of us that went, but um, so let me let me dial back, man. So you graduated high school because yeah. you're saying you joined when you were twenty. That you graduated high school, you didn't want to go to school, yeah. right? And you're eighteen, and you, your mom got a rule. What was that two years in between? Oh, uh, how how did you, I guess, kind of like steer your life to to whatever direction you want to steer within that two years? All right, so I should have graduated high school like two years earlier. Except I dropped out of high school twice. Gotcha. So I dropped out my freshman year and then, um, you know, made a deal with my mom. Hey, like, you know, she was like, hey, you just finish school and then, you know, we can. Was it because school was not for you? you just no, dropped- I just didn't give a fuck about school like that. Like, I, it, it wasn't anything that I was going to learn that I saw that was going to, like, really help me propel through life. Like, you, you can go, like... I didn't understand why I had to complete high school when I knew, like, you know, like, I, w- I was well-informed enough. Bro, that, so, that's crazy. Like, like you are super ahead of your time because this the exact conversation that people are having now on why this new schools, new generation schools getting rebuilt based on the stuff that will actually teach you life, life lessons, life yeah. skills. And you already had that, what's that, fre- freshman year? Yeah, so it was like the... It was because you know there's like the winter, then after winter break you go into like spring, then you get the summer break off. So um, right after winter break, I was like, I'm not coming, I'm not going back. You know, like uh, I'm just not going back. So you're not getting anything out of yeah, it. Yeah, so I didn't go back for like the first reporting period, and then like my mom found out, and then we have this meeting with school, and they decided they want to kick me out of that, and she's asking them not to. And, you know, they're just like, why don't you want to come to school? And I explained myself, and they all looking at each other like, how could I even possibly know what's good for me or not? So I made it very clear, like, like I can learn all this shit just hanging out in the library. Like, there's nothing in here that I'm actually learning. Like, I'm not learning how to manage money. I'm not learning about, like, taxes or nothing like that. Crazy. Like, so it's a just, freshman. Yeah. And so, you know, um, I went back, and... Um, you know, finish that out, and then tenth grade, I was gonna drop out again. Except my mom said, "No, we're just gonna transfer you out." So transfer me out. I went, I made it all the way to senior year, and then I decided, like, "Fuck this! I'm not <laughs> doing this no more." So <laughs> I dropped out again, and then um, basically, I just ended up. Um, I went to summer school, and then I'll take. I had to take one class for like to make up everything. So I, I ended up graduating later. And then um, that year, like, so it was like to 19, um, I, I actually ended up leaving home and then I got a job. I went down to the recruiting station with my friend. Oh, what was your job at that time? I uh, ended up working at CVS, probably the shittiest job I've ever had in my hey, life. Hey, legal drug dealing. That's basically what it is. That shit was shitty, man. Like, <laughs> Um, probably weighed like a good 115 pounds and I'm moving like pallets of shit like every fucking night. So I was like, fuck this. Like I, I'll, 
I just came uh, picked up my last check and I was like, all right, I'm not coming back. So um, I think like that next week, I go with him down to the recruiting station. We we both taking the ASVAB and then I passed, he didn't. Oh man. This was like the, the practice one we both passed, but then when we went and took the actual one, I passed, he didn't. Um, now I'm talking to a dude about picking a rate, uh, pick my job, and then I get a, a date to go to boot camp. So, right, so, so what made you pick? Did you pick Corman right away? No. So for, for y'all listeners, Corman is like the medical of, uh, it's like a medic version of the Navy. So what was, what was, how was that? So I actually wanted to be, uh, for some reason I thought like I need to be an accountant or at least learn finance. So at the time, the only thing to do that is distribution clerk. Right. Right. But they wouldn't offer it to me. So I ended up being a corpsman. Um, went through that. And then um, here I am now. So when you, when you get there, how, how's that clicker shot? Because this, this kind of like what got me. It's like, man, this is... Um, it was weird, but not too much because uh, I spent more time paying attention than anything else. And uh, you learn like how, uh, looking back at that, you learn how like cultureless people are, like how they don't have too much exposure to shit and how stupid some people are. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I learned real quick. Uh, now you're a corpsman. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where's the first duty station? So let's talk about history assignments right now. Uh, China Lake. China Lake was your first duty station. In the middle of the Mojave Desert. Man, how was that being isolated? <laughs> it was... In the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, no disrespect to China Lake, but I'm just saying it was that that's the first duty station that's like... This your first version of the Navy. Very different. Um, it was like 115 degrees by like eight in the morning, and uh, it's like below freezing at night. Like you'll see sheets of ice on the sand, man. Like so, it's kind of just like it's kind of like New York, man. Nothing no, changed. <laughs> nothing like New York, because it, it's it's hot and humid. In the desert, and then it's like below freezing at night. At night, yeah. In New York, at night it doesn't get below. It, it just gets cooler than what it was in the day. Like this was not regular. Like you wearing a winter coat at nighttime. It's like extremely extreme. When you were walking around in shorts and a t-shirt, like just a few hours ago. Man, and, and there's like nothing out there. So you spent what three years there? Uh, two, like a little over two. One memory out of China Lake. I met a lot of good people there. Like, still, we still keep in touch. No, oh, this was up. This was yeah. up. Then after China Lake, where'd you go? Um, I don't know, Groton. Connecticut. Groton, Connecticut. How was that? Just a base full of dudes, man. Man. A base full of dudes. So you went from, like, one coast to the next coast. Yeah. And, uh, compared to China Lake as a second duty station. Complete extreme, like, whereas... It's super hot all the time. It's always cold and grabbing. Um, Except in the summers when it just gets humid, like extremely. This is summer in base, right? Hmm? Is that is yeah, that summer in base? Yeah. Summers, yeah. Then after grabbing, where'd you go? Um, Portsmouth for training, and then. Um, what training? X-ray school. X-ray, yeah. So hold up, X-ray school was not in San Diego back then. It was so basic. 
basic in advance was in um, San Diego, and then they had advance in Portsmouth. Oh, so it was. Uh, everyone went through. Everyone in for, the West Coast. Basic, got basic. But then um, you had the option, depending on what they offered you, to go east to west for advance. So did you did you go ba- basic actuary school after China Lake? Yeah, it was like three months. So I don't really count it. It's like in and out. Then when you got to Connecticut, you already actuary tech. Yeah, and then uh, I was there for about a little over a year. Uh, I had, it was a three year, but. I got out of there, I think, in like 13, 14 months. Man. Well, what made you pick X-ray tech, man? Um, I actually didn't. I actually didn't. It was just like, yeah. hey, we need people here? Um, no. So I was trying to uh, do forensic photography. So that would be like biomed photography, right? Is it because you like taking pictures? You like photography? Or? No, well... That was the only thing that interests me, right? And they explained the job to me. So it would be gotcha. like crime scenes and all kinds of shit like that. Like CSI stuff. Yeah, pretty much. And then, um, you know, working in the morgue and everything. But um, uh, they didn't have an opening. So the only thing they offered me was uh, x-ray, right? And, like, that's all they were going to give me. So I was like, all right, cool, I'll take it. Man. So, yeah. And you got basic, you got advanced, and yeah. Portsmouth didn't... After that, where'd you go? After Portsmouth, uh, that's it to be. So you went to Japan. That's where yeah. we met. So we met in Japan in 2000. I got there in 2007. When, when did you get there? Oh five. You got there oh five. End of oh five, yeah. Because you, you you remember the the on base like skate park like yeah, and it was like just small, like small circle, yeah, it had, like and, one weird ramp, and I was just like, I can't do this, but. I used to go out in town and like, um, cause you know, it was all hills. So I started like venturing out. I would go down to like, uh, Yokohama Bay. Um, I would the, down, to, the downhill in Yokohama. You remember yeah. that? Yeah. So I would do that. I would go to, um, I would actually go to, um, Ayase City, um, Yamato, Abina, um, uh, even down to like Rapungi. And just try to find different spots to hit up, and and I yeah. remember you got you got a few boards back back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. I ran through a lot of boards out there, man. So um, yeah, I, I actually to this day I still have the the pack like where I carry my extra decks and everything, and like um, it's just hard to skate out in Europe right now unless you go to like Barcelona or um, Europe, right? Yeah, or even. Amsterdam or Copenhagen, those places are great to skate. Because at least in Japan, uh, the culture is somewhat like similar to uh, the street streetwear, you know, skate, uh, BMX uh, in the U.S. I remember there's a lot of skate shops, yeah, you know, in Japan, and that was that was something that amazed me. I was like, man, there's some skate shops that's like. Local skate shops is legit, you know, they make their own gear, all that stuff. Like when you first get out there and, um, you know, like you're trying to explore whatever. I remember um, we would go around and you just start finding like all these random stores. But all of them are are like, they're like skate shops. Like, and each one is different from the other. Yep. Each one's different from the other. Because some are more like for vert, some are for like 
street skating. Some are just like, they just have everything in there. And it, I don't know, they just have like their own culture inside of a culture. And, and so, yeah, and that culture was amazing. Cause yeah. uh, I remember my first few months, you know, I went to Japan with a brand new BMX, the Iron Horse. Uh, it was like super brand new at that time. And as soon as I got there, I, you remember Yasumo? Yeah. Well, Yasumo got this skate shop, skate BMX shop. And they're selling all this like different color like grips and different color chains. And I was like, I had to deck my uh, my brand new BMX out and like just just explore this Japan. This where I first saw the different side of uh different side of Japan. Like man, these guys are like super creative. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I found this one park. They like built the park in like. Was that the one by the by the beach? It, no, it was by my house. It was right across the street from my house. This is hill. When you come up the hill, like it opens up and it's like it was like perfect. It was perfect. They had like the perfect ledges. Just everything was just perfect about that place. And I would just spend hours in there just kind of like attacking it, man. Like, um Yeah, yeah. It's not the time though. Yeah, that, those those are good sounds in Japan. I remember uh one one of the memories that I had with you skating and um you know, I used to skate or ride my BMX was when we went to the park in Atsugi and we were we were, we were just messing around, you know, they had the 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 quarter pipe. Um like really small like Yeah, that weird like that weird like it is like the super small quarter yeah. the, the, the quarter <laughs> pipe and it was like right next to each other. Yeah, I think I almost died that day. And <laughs> I was like I was like, you know what? We we were just like, having fun, man. We were just like, I was like, uh, like you were doing ollies and all that stuff, and I was like doing jumps. And I remember like putting this two, uh, it's not even it's it's the ramps. It's basically small ramps. Yeah, that one heavy. That 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 ramp that it's like it's not a ramp because it's high, but it's not a quarter. Uh, it's. It's weird, dude. Yeah, it's no, like somebody just created it, right? It just like looked like they stopped making it halfway through. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It's, it, it's it's like a mini version of a. I don't even know what you call that, but there's two of those, and I put it. Uh, I put it right next to each other with probably uh, about the same uh, gap as what my uh, bike's uh, length is, and I try to, I try to do a transfer. And I remember we were skating. I tried to do a transfer in my uh, the back of uh, the back tires of my bike just hit that edge, and the tire just straight pop. Yeah, I and that. and I had to like carry my bike all the way to the barracks. I was like, I was so pissed off, and I'm like, this like crappy ass skate park like yeah, did that to my bike. Just bad, man. And that was that was the last time I went there. Um, then come to find out that there's a lot, a lot better skate parks out in Japan yeah. if you just explore it, yeah. and never went back to the base skate park because even in the, even the one in Yakuska have have a nice skate park. But yeah, man, like I, I remember them the the skate days that we have. It, it was those those were fun times. Those were fun yeah. times, and it was like I think that's like super organic on how we created Uncanny. When you were in Japan, I remember that you used to be into this like foreign currencies. Like, I had no idea what what investments are back then. Like, like I was like super young, and you were like, what was so? Um, Mike, Mike, remember Mike? 
So he had introduced me into like Forex. So I tried it out for a little bit. I think I tried it for like a month, like on this um, practice account. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start. So was that like the version of Robinhood now? Like, those, no, those? no, no. So basically it's what you're doing is like you're trading your, or you are, you, it's similar to the stock market and where you're trading currency pairs against one another. So you may have like the dollar, dollar yen pair, or you may have like the dollar pound, dollar euro, or euro yen, et cetera, et cetera. So what you can do is you can buy or sell a currency without owning it. So like if you feel like the yen is going to be stronger than the dollar, you can sell, right? So you, you, you almost need the foresight to what do you think the market is going to be as yeah. far as foreign currency? I see. And a lot of things drive the market. So it could be like news. It could be um, maybe like the forecast for unemployment or something like. There's always something that's going to drive like the trend. You know, if it's going to be bull or bear, like strong or weak, right? So, um, so I started doing that, and then like I, I remember I. Had, um, so I took out a loan for 10 grand, right? <laughs> and I was like, boom, I can make my money back. It's not a problem. So I actually did. I made my money back in two weeks. So so what, what should make your money back? You can cash it out, and now you're playing with this extra money? Is that so, how it goes? So I made the money, right? And then I paid the loan off. So now that money is just, now it's my money. You're playing money, yeah. Right. So, and then I just kept doing it and doing it to the point where I got good at it. So... Um, so the, the guy who owned that, um, that firm, I guess, he actually hired me on to manage other people's accounts. So I would manage my own and then manage his. Mm -hmm. The reason the, I didn't, I didn't have, for what I was doing, I needed a bigger account. So that's why he had me doing other people's accounts because then I could I'd have more room to leverage it and then, you know, make money. Plus, I would get a percentage or commission off of So you enjoy finance stuff, man. So it, it, yeah. even when you were younger, you know, you're trying to do, you know, trying to pick your rate, you're into finance. And now when I met you at that time, bowling alley days, and you were like into finance. You enjoy doing that stuff. Yeah, but I didn't, and that's the thing, I didn't even realize that. Like, I was just doing it out of just interest. So it was like, all right, cool. And I, th I think that's how how you find your passion, man. Like, you know, the the saying that uh, it's not work if you like what you're doing. Yeah. And, and you just don't notice it, but you're like, man, I'm having fun doing this stuff. And, yeah. and the next thing you know, because like for me, that was like making beats. Like I can make beats. Remember uh, Streets of Barry? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. me and him was in the barracks together. We used to make beats. We used to freestyle all that stuff. And it's gonna it's gonna take us the whole Saturday just to make a record, and yeah. it doesn't matter who listens to it. We just want to create. Like, have you heard his stuff lately? Yeah, I'm, like, I'm, he's, I'm, he's evolved like from what we knew him from to where he's at now. Like, dang, I'm still following. I'm still following him, and uh, and streets. If you're listening to this, man, you know we we used to tell each other. We used to tell each other back in the day that it's like, hey, you motivate me. No, you motivate me. Because he used to make beats where he could just be getting drunk. And yeah. since he made, you know, he made he made he made a record, now I gotta make a record. And that's kinda how uh 
how it was back then in the barracks. Cause, uh, yeah. And that's you and finance, man. That's what's up. So do you still do it to this day? No. That's the, that's the other thing. Like, I, I don't know. It's, I don't think I got bored with it. I just think, like, my focus shifted. Because I think this is around the time, like, my daughter was born. Mm. And that was part of the reason what drove me to do it. But um, it started to, like, shift a little bit more, right? So, we, you know, we're looking at starting a business and then, you know, like, just growth from that point not so much like this is this was it was just a starting point right yeah but the the whole experience man like what what what's the lesson that you learned from that whole experience like growing something out of nothing out of passion um trust your gut like because even to now i don't know what my thing is but like i i know like when i was doing that right like i'm fucking good at it like and that's not just out of arrogance, right? Or just being cocky. That was like, the proof was in the product. Like, uh, I did the research, I, you know, like I was able to not necessarily predict, but I had more wins than losses, you know? So, um, and it just opened my eyes to like, okay, I can do this or I can explore other avenues of how to work with finance man and it's like the per that's like the perfect example for i think for like is the journey that counts like like the experience that you've earned from that stuff doing that stuff now you have that skill now you know what i mean yeah. and going back to your earlier days in brooklyn like this is the stuff that they, they they didn't teach you in school which i wish they would have like it i think it'd be better to learn about investments or money management over this what i was thinking too like so i just within the past five years is I just got exposed to investments within the past five years. I had no clue what investments are. I had no clue who uh, Warren Buffett was, um, you know, what's compounding, what's all this stuff. And now that, now that I understand what it is, I'm like, man, how come this was not taught during school? How come this was not taught on any formal uh, training occasion uh, event that I was in, you know, growing up in the military. Cause now I'm like, now I'm playing catch up. This is kind of what I feel like. I could have got into Apple like early in the days when Apple was like, yeah, but, you know what I mean? I mean, not, like, I don't think it's catch up though, because you don't know what you don't know, right? Right. And you can only be where you are when you're there. So um, once you do find out something, that's now your introduction or your start point. So you you may compare it to someone else knowing it beforehand, but. Think about who's going to come after you once you know it, right? Because then they're going to feel like it had I only known it earlier, right? It's, oh, that's always going to be that cycle. Right. So it's just a matter of, okay, this is where I'm at. How do I make the most of my starting point versus I wish I had this starting point? Because if, if you knew what you knew beforehand, everybody would be perfect. Because gotcha. right? you'd always be able to make like the perfect decision. So for people with that, with that mindset, right? That like, with that mindset of regret that they didn't do stuff. What, what's your advice? Is that you like focus on the now and create, start creating the story now that you know something? What's, what, what's kind of, how could they move forward on the stuff that man I missed out on that stuff? You know, you see what I'm saying? There's yeah. a lot of people like that. Um, well, first off, regret will always be regret because you'll always think about like if you knew you messed up on something like. Your regret is, you know, 
maybe that miscue, right? But that's the perfect that's the perfect um, lesson. You you know you know what a wrong decision can lead you to. But to get over something like you just you just gotta tough through it. You all, I mean I'm not saying it's like when people say forgive and forget, right? Right. Forgive, but never forget, right? Not not in the sense where you're holding on to it. Because the minute you forget that you took, you just lost that that um, experience, right. right? So, yeah, I mean, like, um, if if you're stuck on something, sometimes that might just be like a wake up call for you to kind of like take a step back, hit the reset button, so you can clear your mind from whatever that is that's holding you back. But for the most part, you're always gonna make a mistake. You'll always regret not doing one thing. Like, it, you can strive for perfection, but you'll always, always miss the mark on something. And you gotta be comfortable with that. Like, you just have to. Like, um, you need to make mistakes. Otherwise, how are you gonna know what's a better way of doing something? Because just you need to constantly evolve. You, you've never hit your ceiling. You, you always fine tune the smaller points. So and this is kind of what we talked about earlier about consistency. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not about, it's really not about like how many mistakes have you done. It's like, are you consistent with it? And are you like learning your lessons from those mistakes? It's, I like that. So, so after Japan, right? Um, here, here's a, a family, Steve, you know, you got, uh, you, 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 you got your beautiful kid uh, at this at this point. Uh, where'd you go next? Uh, went to San Diego. Um, went to FST, FST5, and then um, from there... Shipboard. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And then, um, because it was, like, consistent. So it, it was, is. Like, it was, there was no, like, surprises. Like, and even if there was a surprise... So, here, let's talk about FST, right? Because the first... Uh, I deployed with with FSD three with, with a good friend of ours, uh, Xavier guy. Yeah. So Zay was uh, was an FS was the chief on FSD when I was deployed uh, in 2016, and the way I see FSD is it's like a it's like a small specialized screw yeah. supporting the whole ship, supporting the whole mission. So what's give me an insider look on what a fleet surgical team is which is fsd um it's really just like a small uh, it's like a small mobile medical unit so it's like you know you have a surgeon uh you have operation uh, operating capabilities lab um radiology and you, know, you have your nurses as well as the admin aspect so you can be plucked out as a whole team or you can be uh in route in like less than 12 hours to anywhere you know so it was always like staying ready at all times so you you guys are almost like a a, a deployable clinic basically yeah that's basically like what a it mobile, is, mobile clinic, that, is that, that is amazing them drop them off anywhere and what was the positive of being in, in an fst versus you know ship's crew versus uh uh, clinic, hospital. What, what's what's the key benefit of being an FSD? Um, you don't get complacent. You cross train often, um, and your mindset's a little bit different because your mission is different. So you know you you're supporting, but at the same time, 
you have to be capable of working in just about any environment. So who do you recommend? Because, uh, you know, when, when, when sailors are looking at Seamus ID, right, and they're looking at their next duty station, right, and, man, FSD pops up. What would you tell that sailor? Like, like, what, is there a specific criteria of sailor? You know, a more seasoned technician or uh, first duty station, or what do you think is the the perfect situation for a sailor to pick FSD? It can be great for someone who is um, flexible. Like, if you're used to routine and. I don't think it's going to work out too much. I mean, once you're embarked, but for the most part, you have to be like, if you're stuck on just doing your job, that's probably not the best fit for you because there's a lot of times where you have to assist outside of your element. So you have to be comfortable with that. So I see where you're coming from, where, you know, you want to be flexible if you go to FSD yeah. to have a successful tour. When you embark, you become part of this ship's crew, but at the same time, you're still your own little element. So you have to, you know, don't get too comfortable because at any time we can pull out and just go somewhere. So, yeah, it's, nice. I, I love it. So after, after FSD, uh, where'd you go? Um, went to Balboa for a year and then from there went to Italy the first time. Naples, right? You went to Naples? No, I went to Sigonella. You went to Sigonella? Yeah. Went to Sigonella for the first time? Yeah. And how, how was that first first experience like? Uh, it's the same as it is now. It's just that from for me, um, so by now I'm not even supposed to be in the Navy this long. Like this was not my plan at all. So this was that was going to be my last tour, and then um, somehow it worked out, and then I ended up becoming an instructor after that. So. You like you like being an instructor? Yeah, I, I, it was it was different because it was not a clinical setting. It was um, I didn't even know if how I would function as an instructor, like as far as like introducing um, something brand new to somebody, and then it just evolved to be its own thing, and yeah, just became good at it. Out of all the duty stations. What would be the best duty station as far as work satisfaction? Out of all the duty stations you uh, have? Instructor. Instructor duty, instructor why? Hands down. Um, because, it, I mean, some may see it how they see it, like, you know, but... Because, um, you know, some instructors see that, man, this is busy work. And that's what it is. It's like, that's your job. Your job is to not only just mold someone, but you're supposed to introduce this thing that's going to be their job for however long they're going to do it. And you need to know that they're going to be able to do it correctly. And, and not just that, like be able to teach the next group of people the, the proper way to do it. So um, you need to make that impact quick. So it's basically molding your replacements is Very the much, best yeah. satisfaction at work. Yeah. yeah. And now as far as duty station, as far as the personal one, you know what I mean? Because for me, I have my, my work satisfaction or yeah. like the after I finish the tour, you know, I'm satisfied with what I've done with that with, with that place. But there's also like the best duty station as far as being into uh, oh, that's Japan. embedded to that culture. That's Japan. Like so, work wise was instructor. Like personal is Japan. Uh, I agree. So. Uh, I, out of all the places I've been to, uh, J Japan, Japan hands down. Culture, the 
just ends of the yard trips. Could, yep. could it be? Couldn't be any better than what it was. And and you know you know what well, we we had a good crew. That's one of the things too. But the places that you're you can go to Japan, man, like Mount Fuji. Yeah. Like all these places, bro. Like, like it was just like all those experiences. Just like people pay money to go visit Asia, and we were right there, we were right there, so it's doing like, it every single weekend. It's just a matter of like when you feel like going. Yep, yep. What's up, crew? I hope you guys are having a good time listening to my conversation with Big Sims, my friend, my business partner, you know, the co creator of Uncanny. So next up, man, do you have mentors and what's the importance of mentorship to a sailor who's trying to make the Navy a career or trying to make the Navy a successful stepping stone for the, for the next career? So I had a lot of indirect mentorship that wasn't like for career wise. It was more like personal development. Um, I think it's best to have both professional and personal, regardless of what direction you go into, because um, this profession has an expiration date, right? You'll go as far as you're able to go, right? But you as a person will always continuously grow. You can't do it by yourself. You shouldn't do it by yourself. And as far as having a mentor, um, it's not their job to tell you how to do it. It's more so someone that you can bounce and get feedback of, like direct feedback, like uh, it, it timely feedback. So it's like, how are you doing as far as X, Y, and Z? Or someone can tell you their path and that can help you steer your own. Like maybe they did something and it took them X, Y, and Z, whereas it'll take you A, B, and C to do. Like, you know, because you were able to see how they went about doing it and you were able to find the shortcuts for your process. So, because you, you at the end of the day, you're going to have a different experience as them. Yeah. They're just sharing their experience with you. And, and nothing more. Like, it, it shouldn't be them. I mean, there are times when they're telling you, hey, you got to do X, Y, and Z, right? But it's going to be up to you how to do it. It shouldn't be directing you of how to get there. Like, you. You need to still have that experience for yourself because you will eventually be a mentor and you need to pass that on. And, and at the end of the day, it's like uh, you pick, picking and choosing what they're telling you right? and you creating your own playbook, your and, own game plan. And it's not the gospel. It's not like the hands down thing. It's like you're just taking that information and you're doing with it what works. And, and I think this is why internal motivation really is key. Uh, you know, if you're a junior senator or... You're trying, to, you're trying to move up in ranks or you're trying to get uh, professional and personal development while, while in the military. I think internal motivation is key because without internal motivation, the mentorship that, you know, other people is giving you is just nothing, just words. Yeah. You, you have to be internal motivated to, like, create your own playbook, right? Like, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of coaches in the NBA learn from, you know, great coaches, right? Phil Jackson. But they're not using Phil Jackson's, you know, playbook. They're using their own playbook. Yeah. So the, this kind of the same way in the military. Uh, that's, that's what's up. But, man, I, w- I want to ask, everybody have this uh, moment on your military career, right? On, on any, on business, on personal passion project. There's always this pivotal moment. Um, what's that pivotal moment, do you think? 
that got me to this point. And that got you to this point? Um, I don't think it was just one, but I know the one that stands out the most is the birth of my daughter. Like, um, I had a different mindset before, before she was born. And I think like after she was born and realizing like the gravity of being a father, right? Especially when I'm still relatively young, I like I had to decide what's more important for me, like, um, you know, and it's, I think that's what sparked like massive change, you know? So I had to look at that and just figure it out day by day. It wasn't like overnight, it was like gradual, gradual, gradual. So um, thank you for it, because who knows where the fuck I'd be right now. And this one of the like the biggest motivating factors too is having a kid because that's based on my experience as well. Like I had a different mindset before I had my daughter, and as soon as I got clear, it was like, you know, I got I was I was refocused. Yeah, I was like, all right, now I gotta I need to be a go getter. Yeah, because uh, now I'm providing for somebody else. Yeah. And, and I think if there's an actionable item on that, that would be uh, making that situation a positive, meaning that that. You know, changing your life should be a motivator. That yeah. extra motivation is now, you're right, it's now it's not about you no more. Let's talk about this real quick. So I'm going to jump back and forth with, with, with the Navy and your passion projects and stuff like that. Because I know you, you, uh, you're you creative in a way with, um, with side projects and stuff like that. And three years ago, you say you got into this like eBay thing and, and reselling and stuff like that. Like, was that... Just the New Yorker and you, you know, the Brooklyn, because a lot of resale is big, right? Supreme resellers yeah. is big in New York. So how how did you get into that? Um, that was like, I was watching YouTube one time and I saw something. And I was just like, you know, like I, I saw it and I was like, man, I can I can do this. And then um, I just started like uh, finding ways to get something like below below the retail and just sell it so sometimes i'd like double my money or or a little bit more than that and it just became like a thing like i remember for the longest time like that's all i would do i remember i <laughs> i would literally keep stuff in my trunk so that like when my phone went off and it told me like there was a sale i just pack everything from the trunk and it was just like i'd either ship it at lunch or ship it after work like there's times when i have like maybe like five ten packages in my trunk just ready to be dropped off like after work just Man. yeah like it was so easy like it got to the point where like once i once i got an item a new item and i posted it for resale i would already pack it i would already pack it so all i would have to do was like throw an address on there and then just like once once the yeah, bid is done, you're no, just gonna see that. Like once I once I make it an active auction. Oh, and it's a ready for shipping. Like I already, it's already packed. Man. Up. I just needed to know who I'm shipping it to because it was like I know it's gonna sell. So it was just a matter of not if, but when. So 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 with this young go getters, right? Doing this like doing this like side hustle. Yeah. Do they need a business account? Like, do they need something business related? Like, you need an LLC, you need to be established. No. I you just that. need a PayPal account, right? I just PayPal account and an eBay account, and that's it. Like, that's it. And, and now, nowadays, and Gar- Gary Vee says this all the time, like, there's no better 
place to do all that stuff now because of access to internet, yeah. access to computer, access to consumers. I was doing it for my iPhone. Like, That's I would, crazy. I would, I would set up the auction, take the pictures, post it. You know, every I did everything from my phone. So like, I'll be in the middle of like teaching, and I'll you know put them on break, and then boom, boom, boom. like this, it just worked. Or, or I'll be at my desk, and you know, doing yeah. business. And, and you're successful with the side hustle while being in the military. Yeah, uh, I just want I just want to point that out because. What is your take on parallel success as far as, you know, you had the side hustle, successful people DMing you all the time, hey, end the auction now, and still being able to pick up rank, is it doable? It is doable, but um, in the pursuit of anything, you just got to decide from the jump, what's your cost? Like, what are you giving up in order to get what you're getting? Because you're going to give something up. Talking about transitioning now to the sailor side of things, right? You got... The, the passion projects and stuff like that on the sailor side of the house. There's this thing, Sailor 360, right? What, what's your take on that? Do, do you do you think we're heading to the right direction with Sailor 360? Um, yes, because what it does is what it does it forces everyone to be a part of that growth process, right? Right. Like before we didn't have it, like you you'd only get it at a certain level at a certain rank. Right. By then, it's kind of too late because you've built your own habits, right? So now it's like, are we, in this short amount of time, going to be able to scrub these bad habits you've made collected and kind of like direct you in the right path? Or maybe we can start aligning ourselves with what other services. And, and it's almost like indirectly related to what we're talking about with school, the school system. Yeah. You know, you're not, they're not teaching you at the, at the early age no. on Sailor 360. Now there's an avenue for the Navy to, to train you or the stuff that you should have known a long time ago. Jump. So it's like for the newer people, they're getting it right off the jump and then it's being reinstilled at every level, right? For the older crew, they're going to see it as not working because one, we didn't get this. So it's like now we're the ones that are, are against it. Like we're the ones causing that friction because we you know, like, oh, it's more so from why didn't we get this? So right. instead of doing it, instead of doing that, it's like, okay, we didn't get this. Let me see what this is and let me see how I can help push it along. And, and I think that's part of leadership, man. Like, I truly believe that leadership, like leaders in general, like military, business, as long as you're a leader, you're, 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 you're an influence of change, right? Like change for the positive, of course. And for that, right, you're in the middle of all these changes and stuff like that. What's your vision of Sailor 360? If, you, if you're going to gonna have that one vision, right, either be, hey, it's going to be big on social media so you can impact more sailors or stuff like that. How can you capitalize on this? I don't think it should be one thing, though, because um, one thing doesn't make a leader, right? So it has to be like several areas right because we gotta you know you gotta you gotta attack knowledge skill and ability right you have to make sure that you hit those three points and at the same time you need to on different payments too yeah and then you also need to know um yes you need to introduce people to their character right like you make them self-aware right because you don't know what you don't know about yourself like right. 
for you, like I know for me, um, in in my vision of me, I come across monotone or whatever. But the way someone receives me may be completely different, right? They may it may seem that I'm um, too stoic, or maybe I'm just like detached, right? Or like I just don't care because that's what they get. The vibe, right? right? Yeah. So it's a matter of knowing who you are, knowing your audience, and knowing how to connect. This upcoming CPO season, if, if there's a Steve Sims, right, that's going to get go through the season this year, what's the top three advice that you have for that chief select? Be yourself. Uh, remember, remember who helped get you where you are, and it's no longer about you. And how, how do you think that, that would help them, like, get through the season? Because... We, I've seen it. I've, I've seen a lot of people, you know, well, not a lot of people, but I've seen some people quit during the season. Some people talk bad about the season because this is not, you know, they're not giving them value. So wh why do you think, you know, being yourself and knowing how you got there, why is that important? Um, know yourself because you, more so than anyone, know who you are. And um, everyone does it. And they'll... Their perception of you is not who you are. Right? Like you know the reality. Yeah, you, you know the yeah. reality. You know who you are in and out, right? And that, and you shouldn't have to change that, right? So um, just be mindful of that. People will always have their opinions of who they think you ought to be, but it's your job to introduce them to who you know yourself to be. Um, remember, I mean, the, you know, remember who helped get you where you are because. No matter what you may think, you've never achieved anything in this world by yourself. So um, always be mindful of that and pay homage to that by kind of giving back or for the most part um, demonstrating why they saw something in you to help get you to that next level And it's no longer about you because it's no longer about you. Um, the moment you know that you've been selected, um, there's nothing left for you to prove except that you're willing to do what you hoped someone would do for you, for your sailors. This is the legacy question. If you're going to leave a legacy in the Navy, what's the three words of wisdom that you can advise a young sailor on the up and up? autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And I had that because uh, that's what I used to push to students when I was an instructor, autonomy, right? You you work, your goal is to get to a skill level to where you can work on your own. You don't need that assistance because when you once you've attained autonomy, that means you can now function without assistance and give assistance to those that need it. Mastery, you're always striving to perfect your your trade or your craft and you're never a master of anything like there's always room for growth but you're always fine-tuning and chipping away at rough surfaces right the rough edges you're smoothing it out so you you are continuously getting better at your craft because technology changes so you should change with it right and then purpose right people always say the why the why the why but um the reason you started doing something may not be the reason why you're still doing it right but You have to be purposeful in that manner. You have to approach it with means to an end in a sense, right? So maybe you, when you first started, it started because of money, right? 
but now it may be out of philanthropy, right? Like not just right. mon monetary, but like just the giving back aspect. So just remember that you're gonna constantly evolve over time. And those three things always, you can't have one side without the other. But hey, this is an amazing pod. Well, I want to acknowledge you for, for being a great friend. You know, I've known you before I had kids. Yeah, man, um, the Giggle Gang, man. The Giggle Gang's here, you know what I mean? And, and we've known each other for over a decade and I consider you a lifelong friend. And I appreciate for coming into the podcast, man. You know, episode four, Coffee in the Beach with Steve Sims. I appreciate it, bro. Thanks, man.